This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Hello, everybody, and welcome into this Thursday edition of Hockey Central here on Sports at 960 The Fan. Haley Salvian here with you for the next hour. After a little bit of a break, we've got some hockey back tonight. Stanley Cup Final Game 3 in Florida this evening. Puck drop at 6 o'clock, 8 o'clock Eastern. If you are in Sunrise, perchance, and going to that hockey game, uh, series heads back to Florida. That's right for game three. Vegas, they're up 2 nothing, and could take a commanding lead in the series tonight. Florida, meanwhile, they're going to look to get back on track after looking like a shell of the team that swept the Carolina Hurricanes in round three through the first two games of the series. I've been going back and forth on is what's happened to this point in the series, and of course I say that it's only been two games, so we don't want to overreact, but I wonder, is Vegas up to a 2 nothing lead because the Vegas Golden Knights are doing something particularly well against Florida? Is it something that Florida is failing to do? Obviously we know that Sergei Bobrovsky uh, hasn't quite been as sharp as he was uh, in the second and third rounds where he was lights out against Toronto and Carolina. Um, but also the defense in front of them hasn't been great. They've been pretty leaky. They're setting screens on their own goalie. I thought Henrik Lundqvist put this really well on TNT during game two, and he was talking about, you know, if you're sick, Sergei Bobrovsky, what are you saying or what are you thinking about the guys in front of you in that moment? Um, and it's, you know, the guy's got to get out of the way stop like if you're going to go and block a shot you got to commit to it you don't want to screen your own goalie pucks were going through their d um they weren't boxing out they weren't you know stopping the secondary chances they were giving up a ton of rush chances a lot of chances on the inside and when it comes to those screens they're almost in the way of Bobrovsky's sight lines um, instead of pushing guys out of those sight lines, which is typically the job of, you know, the big defender whose job is to box out. And he said, Sergei Bobrovsky is trying to make glove saves that he can't see. And I thought that was, you know, no, no surprise that <laughs> Henrik Lundqvist can explain that better than I can. But I thought that that was a really great way to put it. I think it's on both of them. I think Bobrovsky can maybe do a little bit more to fight through those screens and fight for sight lines and battle to stop pucks. But it is hard to do all that when the D group in front of you uh, is struggling. And it isn't as great uh, compared to the defense and the forwards across from them, right? Vegas is doing something really well here as well. So I think it's a mix of both. I think Vegas is is bringing a really punishing style to this series. Uh, in Florida, they maybe lost a bit of their composure, lost a bit of that rhythm and spark that had got them to this point. Maybe the break, maybe the break did impact it. Maybe the best thing the Vegas Golden Knights have done in the playoffs is lose a couple games to Dallas because it made Florida sit at home a little bit longer. Uh, but we'll see tonight if the Florida Panthers can gain some of that composure composure back uh get some of that mojo back and and make this a series here um mind you the fact that vegas is up to nothing is uh not a great sign if you're a fan of the florida panthers 
the we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but teams with a two nothing lead and best of seven Stanley Cup finals have won the series ninety point six percent of the time. Only five teams have come back to win a Stanley Cup from that deficit. Only one team has come back after being down three nothing. So we could see some history, uh, but I would say the betting odds and the favorite would be Vegas Golden Knights right now, up two nothing in that series. Um, we're going to talk to Jesse Granger shortly. Coming up here, he's the first guest of the show. He covers the Vegas Golden Knights for The Athletic. He's been doing a great job. There's been a ton of killer features from Jesse on The Athletic over the last couple weeks. So he's going to come on. We'll dive into what's working so well for the Vegas Golden Knights. And then later on in the hour, Pat Steinberg's going to join us to discuss the state of the Flames coaching search and some of the personnel decisions currently facing the team and new GM Craig Conroy. Elias Lindholm's a big one, obviously, but the one I'm really curious about and I'm excited to talk to Pat about because he had Matthew Phillips on the show is Matthew Phillips. He's a Group 6 unrestricted free agent on July 1st since he did not hit the threshold of NHL games. He's only played two NHL games this season. He got one in garbage time and the bubble doesn't really count. And all that's despite the success that he's had individually and with the Wranglers um, slash Stockton Heat at the American Hockey League level. I think it's possible that Matthew Phillips, he is small, that's always going to be a disadvantage. It's possible he's just a tweener. He's going to be a really good AHL forward who maybe gets some NHL games here and there. That might be true. He might just be an AHL forward. Maybe he's not even a tweener. Maybe he's going to be a star in the NHL. We don't know because he has not been given a shot. I think Matthew Phillips has proven all he needs at the American Hockey League level, and he needs to get a look at the NHL so we can decide what he is. Whether that shot comes in Calgary or elsewhere is his choice now. So we're going to talk with Pat about that later on in the hour. Uh, but for now, we're going to head to the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline. So we have Jesse Granger on the line. He covers the Vegas Golden Knights for The Athletic. He's in Sunrise right now. Jesse, how are we doing? What's going on? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, it's nice. I feel like there was a couple of dead zone days where not a whole lot, like not a lot going on. And then today it's like we got the cup final. We got some flames things to talk about. Like what's going on with Pierre-Luc Dubois? The, the combine's happening, by the way. So it's good. It's, it's getting pretty busy here. But I'm glad I'm glad there's more. We have hockey tonight. I, I'm I'm happier when I can sit down and watch a game in the evening. Yeah, hockey, and then I mean, we had a three-team trade the other day. Usually, we uh, usually those things don't start until this series finishes. So right. uh, the GMs are getting started early this year. Yeah, thank you, Danny Breer. Welcome, welcome to the NHL. I mean, he was working in the league and he played in the NHL, but you know what I mean. Welcome, Danny Breer. Diving right in, it's fun. So yeah, Jesse we, Vegas is. Uh, now we've got a oh, good go ahead. tonight. Sorry. <laughs> No, it's okay. I think I think there's a delay there. But yes, you said good hockey games tonight. Vegas, they're two wins away from a Stanley Cup. In six years, by the way, like Bill Foley promised. How'd they get here? Well, I mean, it's been a journey. This team has been really close for six years now. Obviously, last year they missed the playoffs, but I think you look at all the injuries they had, it was pretty explainable um, why they missed the playoffs. And um, I don't think we expected them to bounce back this strong, but we definitely expected this team to bounce back and be a, a contender for the playoffs at the very least. And I think you look at all the pieces they've added over the years. Um, they felt like they didn't have a number one defenseman, and, and they looked around the league and they said, okay, the Lightning, with Victor Hedman, 
um, St. Louis with Alex Petrangelo, they, they, they looked around and they said, we need one of those guys. Um, and they go get Petrangelo. He was a free agent. They're aggressive. They, they signed him to a big deal. Um, and then they still fell short. They lost two conference finals in a row um, with that core. And they said, look, we've got strong wingers with Max Pacioretty, Mark Stone, uh, Jonathan Marshall, so Riley Smith. We've got strong wingers. We've got a great defense. We don't have a number one center. Let's go get Jack Eichel. Um, a unique situation where you, you, you usually can't go get a number one center. The only way you can get one is to draft one, right? And yeah. they found a, a unique situation where they can sign or they can trade for a franchise center. They brought him in. And then I think the, the third key to that is, is hiring Bruce Cassidy. I think not only has Cassidy done a phenomenal job with this team, but I think he has turned Jack Eichel into the franchise center that can win you playoff games um, that maybe he was still developing into in Buffalo and he hadn't quite got there yet. Um, I think he's taken major strides under Cassidy and, and the three of them, Petrangelo, Eichel and Cassidy on top of what was already a really talented team have got this team, like you said, two wins away from a championship. There's so much to like about this Vegas Golden Knights team, and it's wild that I'm saying that because I went through moments where I was like, oh, I'm sick of the Golden Knights. You know, I think people hit that point where it's like, oh, they just keep making these big trades and it's annoying me. And now I'm sitting here watching and I'm like, you know what? No, there's a lot that I like about this team. I like watching Jack Eichel, you know, show up in these big moments in the playoffs. I mean, he takes the big hit from Matthew Kachuk. He leaves the ice, but he comes back. Doesn't matter. Just back to doing his thing on his first shift in the third period. I mean, he's back checking. He's making plays. He's got the Elvis wig coming out too with the team. And then you look at Jonathan March or so, and that's been great. He continues to show that Florida's loss is Vegas's game. I mean, everybody loves watching Mark Stone play. And I'm just like, uh, dang, yeah, I really like. <laughs> There's a lot to like about this Vegas Golden Knights team. <laughs> yeah, they've they've got some good characters in the room. They they have throughout the years. I mean, like I I've been spoiled covering this team, not just in terms of the like getting to cover playoff runs, but they've had <laughs> such good characters. I mean, you look at like Mark Andre Fleury, obviously is the main one, but like Nate Schmidt was great, and and we had him here for a while, and and they've like Jack Eichel's been phenomenal this season. Mark Stone's always fun to talk to. This team. They've got a lot of good characters. Um, I totally understand why fans of outside the market would be sick of this team. Um, every player they're in on, they end up trading for or signing. Um, it, <laughs> I totally get why there would be, um, I'm sick of these guys. But, yeah, on the ice, they're fun. They play, they play an entertaining brand of hockey. They've been pouring the goals in this postseason. That's been the biggest difference between their their failed postseason runs and this year is so far the goals have come when they needed them um they they haven't hit one of those droughts that that puts you in a bad spot and it's why they have never trailed in a series uh, up to this point because they're scoring every night and obviously the goaltending's been there and they play solid defense but those have been constants for this team for a while um it's the scoring that would dry up at the wrong times that really cost them in years past and so far to this point um they've been scoring at a really, really high rate. Well, Dom Lustician, our colleague at The Athletic, had an interesting story that posted today about Vegas's luck and how unprecedented it has been as they kind of close in on a Stanley Cup. I'm curious your thoughts on how much of this is the skill and the way that this team has been built and how much of it is puck luck. Um, well, I think... First of all, it was a great story, and I think yeah. that there's certainly a an, an aspect of luck that's going into it. Um, I definitely think this team has gotten bounces, but 
What do we hear hockey players say after every game that they get the bounces is we earned them. And I don't think that's a cliche. I think that's true. I think in hockey, in a sport where you're trying to bounce this rubber object into a net with everyone on ice skates, you're going to have to get some lucky bounces to get it to go in every once in a while. And I think the teams that control the front of the net get those bounces. And I think the Golden Knights have controlled the front of the net better than they ever have on both ends of the ice. Um, On defense, Bruce Cassidy has installed a zone defense that collapses around the net and they don't stray very far from the center of the ice. And it's part of the reason that if you look at their shot attempts against, they're, they're pretty high. Like for a team as good defensively as Vegas has been, they give up a lot of shot attempts. And the reason is they don't chase you to the outside of the zone. If you want to possess the puck around the outside of your offensive zone, they will let you have it there as long as you want. They stay compact and they've got a really big defensive core. I mean, their, their defensemen are all over six foot, all over 200 pounds. Alex Petrangelo is the, the big horse back there. But they've like Alec Martinez isn't a really big guy, but he's strong in front of the net. Braden McNabb, Zach Whitecloud, Nick Haig, they've just got a lot of power in front of that net to not li- allow teams to get there. And you look at teams that have been really good at that in the regular season and in the playoffs, Dallas is one. They scored a ton of their goals off of deflections. Joe Pavelski in there. Jason Robertson got a lot of goals in there. And Vegas didn't allow them into those areas. Um, and now they're doing it to the Panthers. Matthew Kachuk has scored a lot of his goals around the front of the net in the dirty areas. And to this point, through two games, the Golden Knights haven't allowed them to get to those areas. And if you don't get there, you don't get bounces. Um, and then on the other side of things, the Golden Knights have, have relied too much on rush offense for, for basically all six years. And they weren't able to get to those areas when – the defense got tighter in the playoffs and it gets harder to score goals. They weren't able to get to those areas. And this year you look at guys, I mean, Mark Stone can do it. He's a big, powerful guy, but to me, it's the unsung heroes like Brett Howden, Michael Amadio, William Carrier. They're going to the dirty areas. They're getting position in there and they're getting bounces. So yes, I think the golden Knights have had their fair share of luck. I think Aiden Hill has, has had some lucky saves. You look at that paddle save. It, I mean, yeah, yes, it takes a lot of skill to get there, but the, the puck's got to hit your stick still. Um, so they have had some luck, but I also think you, you hear hockey players say you've got to earn your bounces, and I think through three rounds of, of hockey, three and a half rounds of hockey, the Golden Knights have certainly earned their fair share of bounces. Mm-hmm. Healthy dose of luck, but lots, lots of credit to the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, let's get to Aiden Hill here because – you and I had this conversation. I was working on a story about the top unrestricted free agent goalies who were going to be on the market. And this was, I think, still in the Edmonton series. And it was like, you know, could he be a number one goalie? We're not sure. We haven't seen it yet. How uh, was how your opinion on Aiden Hill shifted in the last three weeks? Um, well, I'm always cautious with sample size with goalies. Um, and I, Aiden, Aiden Hill has been sensational um, in these playoffs. It's, I think early on the Golden Knights were defending so well in front of him that he wasn't being asked to make a lot of saves. And his, his stats were, were really good at that point. But even I was like, you know what? I don't know how real this is. The stats are good, but I don't know how much of it is because of him and how much of it's because the defense in front of him. But that has changed. I mean, they, they've given up some chances. They've had some holes in their defense recently. And Aiden Hill has stepped up and just been sensational for this team. So, um, how much of it is so like I am worried someone's going to overpay this goalie for not because I don't think Aiden Hill can be a number one goalie, but is he going to get paid like a like a goalie that you can ride to the Stanley Cup and, and sure. just put a team on his back and carry him there? I don't know if he's there yet. I would still be cons- a little bit concerned with health. 
he has not been able to stay healthy for, for basically most of his career, and that's one of the reasons why he's never been a number one goalie is he's hurt often. Um, luckily for the Golden Knights, he's been healthy for this. I mean, he's been hurt twice just this year for the Golden Knights. So um, that part is a little concerning if you're going to sign him to be your number one. Um, but I think he's proven that when he's at his best, he is absolutely good enough to be a starting goalie in this league, and he's got the potential so high because he's big, he's – He's very mobile for, for a big goalie. I mean, he's like 6'4", but his shoulders are so broad. He plays even bigger than that. Yeah. Um, I think some sites list him at 6'6", and he's not 6'6", but he plays like he is. Like When you watch him in net, you think he's 6'6". And he, he moves really well for, for a guy that big. So the, the upside with him is really high. I just I would be a little concerned about the longevity, um, about his health, and, and this is a small sample, and it's just going to come down to, like, is there a GM out there that wants to pay him like this is going to be what you get every time for Maiden Hill? Because right now he's on a heater and he's playing the best hockey of his life. I, I'm glad we can appreciate what Aiden Hill's doing right now in the playoffs, but also like tap the brakes just a little bit. I mean, because we were just talking about this right. yesterday on the show, especially with the three-team trade. I mean, Cal Peterson had one pretty good year, and he got, a, what, a three-year, $5 million paycheck. It's a different situation because Peterson's, I think, a little bit younger, uh, more of a prospect that you're, like, you know, betting on versus Aiden Hill. He's a little bit older i mean he's still only 27 he's not old per se but having like a really good playoffs uh he could be an overpay candidate and this season was the first time he started over 25 games uh or at least just 25 games he played 27 games for the Vegas golden knights in the regular season so it's not somebody who's shown he can take you know 60 games or you know the majority of the workload but It'll be interesting to see what happens with him if he signs a big ticket on the open market or maybe wants to stay in Vegas. Something to keep an eye on. Yeah, for sure. How uh, how has Doc Eichel elevated his game in the postseason, Jesse? So the, the the most impressive thing about Jack Eichel is like when when you talk about his career, you, you hear people say like. When he was in Buffalo, people would question, can, can you win with a player like that who scores a lot of goals and he does, has a lot of individual success, but does he do the small things to help you win? And the most impressive thing about him during these playoffs is, yes, he leads the team in points, but he hasn't scored a goal in eight games. And I'd argue he's been the best skater on the ice for all eight of them, um, which is like that's something that two years ago when, when Jack Eichel was still in Buffalo – Nobody would have believed you if you told them he's going to be the best skater on the ice without scoring goals, and and that's what he's been. I mean, he's 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 excellent on the back check. He's he's found ways to use his. So he's got such a powerful skating stride, and he's so strong with his stick. He's used those things to to dominate with the puck for so long, and now he's using those physical tools that make him so special. He's found ways to use them defensively without the puck. He he uses that powerful skating stride to close in on guys, and he he separates them from the puck. He makes it look easy, and then he turns the other way and, and helps facilitate back up the ice. He's just been so good. Um, he's been he's been good without the puck, and he's been good transporting it um, is another thing. Like, when he gets the puck in his own zone, it's basically in the offensive zone with possession set up. It's like 90% of the time. It's so difficult for the other team to pressure him, to take it off of him. He just uses his body to shield the defense really well. He transports it into the offensive zone. And in, in a series where possession and territory is so important and can we play in their zone, um, a guy like Eichel, who as long, if we could just get the puck on his stick, you know he's, he's flipping the ice. 
Um, it really helps. So, I mean, he's done it all. He, I think they could use some more goals from him. So far, they're winning without it. I think he would like to score some more. But, um, like I said, eight games in a row without a goal, and he's been really good in all of them. It's just he's doing all the things we wondered if he, if he could do, and, and he's proven that he can do it on the biggest stage. I'm curious on, on your take on this because you've been following the team throughout the playoffs the last six years. Uh, so you've gotten to watch Jonathan Marcheseau from the beginning, and I keep trying to wrap my head around how he was even available in expansion. Uh, but we don't need to dive into that rabbit hole. I'm curious, is he the Con Smythe front runner for you right now? Um, I would say right now he is. I think it's between him, Eichel, and Hill. And maybe whoever has the, like, if, if the Golden Knights do win, whoever is the one that propels them of those three to the, the, the last two wins would probably be my pick for Smythe. But I think right now, if you had to pick, they're up 2 nothing. If you had to pick a, a player, I would probably pick Marcia So just because um, not only does he, has he scored all these goals, the timeliness of his goals, and that's what he's done for, I, I tweet it all the time, all Jonathan Marcia So does is score clutch goals. Like this guy, mm-hmm. if you need a goal and, and you, you, it's, it's a must-have, it seems to be him every time. Um, and, I, and like I talk to his teammates, like how does this guy do this every time? And they say it's because every shot he takes is the most important shot. I mean, I wrote a story earlier this year about how he's created a, a – sort of gambling game, like where they're, they're betting each other who will score more goals in every practice. So like we're talking the middle of a Thursday practice in the middle of the regular season, he's got wagers with guys that he'll score more goals in that practice than they will. And they're counting how many goals they score. And it's, it, he likes it because it, it, it ups the intensity. It puts the pressure on you so that maybe a shot that you normally wouldn't care about, you actually do care if you score on that shot. And he, and I, he thinks that by doing that, you make yourself more comfortable in the pressure and uh, the results speak for themselves. He scores every time they need a big goal. So um, like I said, every shot he takes in practice is the biggest shot of his life and it makes it easier to uh, perform when the pressure actually is on. And what is it? 12 goals in his last 12 games. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's, yeah, he's on a heater. It seems like everything he touches right now is, is finding the back of the net. He is, like he didn't have a goal in the first seven games of the playoffs and he was on a, a, a real drought and everyone was kind of wondering like, where did Jonathan Marshall go? He's usually the playoff performer for him. And uh, in the 12 games since then, he had, like you said, 12 goals. He's been on fire. Unbelievable. Uh, Jesse, you sat down with Bruce Cassidy, the head coach of the Golden Knights to talk about what winning a cup would mean for him about what it was like to watch the Bruins historic season this year after getting fired by the team. Um, He's such a pleasure to listen to, I've got to say. I've heard a lot of people rave about him throughout the season. Uh, You ask a question, he answers it, and you typically learn something. So I'm curious, what were some of the major takeaways from that conversation with Bruce Cassidy? Yeah, he's been such a pleasure to cover this year. Just the most open coach I've ever covered. He just, like, it it blows my mind sometimes how open he is when it comes to Mm -hmm. the strategy on the ice. I remember in the Dallas series, not only will, will he tell us what exactly he's running and what he's hoping to do and, and how they hope to do it, um, he, was, he, was, he was even going far enough to say, yeah, so in game one, this is what we did. We, we were successful in all these areas. If I was them, this is how I would counter it. And, and then if they do counter it with that, this is what we have to counter that. Like he's, he is <laughs> on another level when it comes to explaining what's happening on the ice. Um, but the sit-down I had with him, I, it, was, it was great because I got to kind of get into the more, like, human side of coaching, and I, it was fascinating mm-hmm. to me. And he was equally open and honest with that. And 
the, the question I like, I guess the biggest question I had aside from the Stanley cup stuff was just, what was it like watching the Bruins? Because if you put yourself in that situation as a human, like he doesn't want the Bruins to, to fail when he leaves. He has a lot of relationships with those guys. He, he wants to see them succeed, but at the same time, if you were doing something for six years and then immediately you leave and that whatever you were doing becomes the greatest in the history of that thing, um, there's got to be some weird feelings there like, whoa, what's going on? And he was super honest about it. He said, you know what? I was more worried about my kids than me. And he said, I, we have a home in Cape Cod. We like to go back there for the summer. My kids have lots of friends um, in that area. And he was worried what if, if the Bruins were to, were to have gone on and won the Stanley Cup, he was worried what kids would say to his children. Like, oh, your dad, if, if he hadn't gone earlier, uh, maybe we would have won more cups or, or whatever. And he's like, man, kids are mean. You never know. And he was like, yeah. so when, I, when they lost in the first round of the playoffs, it was a sense of relief for him. Um, there, there was some relief. He wasn't happy to see them lose, but it, there was a sense of relief. And, and I think anybody, if you think about just how we are as humans, I think anybody would say, yeah, that's a pretty reasonable response. But I don't think a lot of coaches would admit that. Um, so I was, again, just I'm always impressed by how open and honest Cassidy is. He's, he's a pleasure to, to cover both on and off the ice. Um, it's, it's been a lot of fun watching him on this run. Uh, this is totally random, but as you're telling me the story about Bruce Cassidy's kids, I remember talking to a current NHL head coach, and he was telling me, I was just, you know, oh, sorry about last season, you know, didn't have the success. How you doing? He's like, I'm fine. It's just my kids that I think about. Like, kids are really mean these days. And he was telling me about how the kids on, like, his son's hockey team would, like, make fun of them all the time. Like, your dad's the reason they can't win. And kids are so mean. I was like, this is really something that they have to deal with. You're not, you're worrying about leading your team and also making sure that your kids aren't getting bullied by, by older kids at their school or guys in their hockey team. I was like, geez, ruthless. Yeah, no, I, I had never, it had never crossed my mind. Like the, the dynamic of, of your dad is the coach of the hockey team. And every day you go to school, every time they lose, people are like <laughs> mad at you. It, it had never really crossed my mind until Bruce brought it up. But yeah, it makes sense. It's, it's awful, but it makes sense. Sad. Um, one more player I wanted to ask you about, Jesse. It's Ivan Barbashev. <laughs> His impact on the playoffs with Vegas has been great. You had a really good story kind of looking at, you know, he's been money with the team and he's probably going <laughs> to, rake in the money in the off season. And the thing that's been quite satisfying with Barbashev and the golden Knights in the playoffs is like actually seeing a deadline addition that was made, you know, we got to get some toughness at the deadline. Like it's actually working. You know, we hear that all the time. And a lot of times those guys don't really do anything, but it's actually working with Ivan Barbashev and he's probably going to get a big ticket in the off season. Yeah, he, I mean, you can't fit in better with a team instantly than Barbashev has in Vegas. I mean, it's just been like, I'm sure pro scouts all the time are, are looking at guys that they want to trade for at the deadline and they're saying, this is how he'll fit in. And you have these like grand uh, predictions of how this is going to work. Rarely does it go exactly how you planned. I mean, Barbashev, I think a big reason is he can just play anywhere. Like they, he, the style of hockey he plays, they could put him on the fourth line if they wanted to and, and play a, a more direct checking game and, and use your physicality, and he could absolutely play that and play it well. Or you can do what they've done with him and put him on the top line, the, the highest scoring line on the team with Jack Eichel and Jonathan so and let him be the net front guy, let him drive that center lane to open up space for the other guys, let him be the first forward in on the four check. 
to, to rattle the boards and, and put the pressure on. And then once he gets the puck, once he, he, he's got the physicality and the speed to, to get on the forecheck and separate guys from the puck, and then he's got the skill to actually do something with it once he has it. And he's been feeding Eichel and Marcia so pucks, and then those two have been making magic and scoring. So it's a really good fit for this team. I'm curious how they're going to make it work. Barbashev has, has indicated he would love to stay. Um, he's, he's obviously been a great fit on the ice. Um, he loves Las Vegas. He loves the teammates. I, I think he's probably going to want to stay. It's going to come down to what kind of offers could he possibly get around the league and can the Golden Knights match because right now it looks like they're going to have about $3 million in cap space. Um, we know how these things work. You can easily yeah. make moves to clear more cap space if you need. Um, no team knows it better than the Golden Knights. I mean, they traded Max Pacioretty last offseason. Um, they traded Marc-Andre Fleury, the one before that. There are ways to make cap space if you really want to keep a guy, but um, it's going to be interesting. He's, like I said, perfect fit. The physicality he's brought, that hit on Gudis, the, the reverse hit on Gudis in game oh. two was so big. Um, it obviously I think he invented the reverse hit, Gudis actually. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I, he, he, very, he, he may well have. But that hit, I thought not ju- I mean, obviously you don't want to see Gudis get hurt, but I thought the Panthers came into that game with an intent to try to bully the Golden Knights out of the game and say, we're going to assert ourselves physically and hope to, to kind of make them shrink a little in the moment. And Gudis came out with a couple really big hits in the first two shifts. And then um, Barbashev answered that hit. Like I said, unfortunate that he got hurt, but I thought Barbashev answering their physicality with some hits of his own really kind of showed that the Golden Knights were basically saying, we're not going to get, you're not going to push us out of this game. Um, and then they end up winning big. It's been great to watch that the Barbashev March so Eichel line has been unbelievable. I mean, they're just completely outscoring their opponents when they're on the ice together. I mean, the Vegas Golden Knights have been doing that throughout the playoffs, though. Uh, they're very good on the road in the postseason, too. Six and two with a 16 goal differential outscoring teams, 32 to 16 when they're on the road. So might be a might be something to look for tonight here as the, the series shifts to Florida. Thanks for doing this, Jesse. I appreciate the time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. All right. There goes Jesse Granger. He covers the Vegas Golden Knights for the Athletic Game 3, as you heard, in Florida tonight. Vegas versus the Panthers. And, yeah, Vegas pretty good on the road this offseason. Postseason, sorry. Pretty good uh, this postseason in general, but particularly strong on the road. 6-2 and two outscoring opponents, 32-16. to 16. Uh, and that conversation with Jesse Granger was brought to you by the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline, brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, 15-time Consumer's Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. For pickup or delivery, call 403-248-3344. We're going to head to a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by best friend of the show. Pat Steinberg. It's time for the weekly Pat Chat. He's the host of Flames Talk. Let's shift this conversation over to Calgary, the coaching search, what comes next in the offseason. That's coming up next on Hockey Central and Sports at 960 The Fan. You're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, welcome back into Hockey Central. Did my voice just crack a little? It's because I'm nervous because it's time for the Pat Chat. Pat Steinberg joins us now on the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline. Host of Flames Talk. You hear him everywhere on Sports at 960. Did my voice just crack a bit there? A little bit. Well, did yours just crack there too? Did you do that on purpose to make me feel better? Yeah. Yes. 
thank sure you. Sure did. Wow, you're so nice. I've missed you. It's been a long week well since the last pat chat. How much? I wasn't sure if we were going to do one this week, and then you texted today. Yeah. I was uh, I was happy to hear. Yeah, this is it's a big day. I mean, nothing's happening. Still waiting for the coaching search to yeah. finish up. What are you hearing? Coming to a conclusion soon? Yeah, I think we're I think we're almost. I don't know if they have made a decision yet, like if they've fully settled on anybody yet. Um, but I think that we're uh, I think we're pretty close. And if it were to be tomorrow Friday, wouldn't be a surprise. Also, wouldn't shock me if they wait until Monday. But as I've said the last couple of days, we're close. We're within a few days of them naming a coach. I, it feels like it's going to be one of the internal hires. It feels like it's going to be one of Ryan Huska or Mitch Love. So it, it, it feels like we're close. I think that Friday, Monday is kind of your target as to what you're looking at in terms of an official announcement. You know, it's funny because when they decided on Craig Conroy, uh, that was going into a long weekend, if I remember correctly. And I think that they had made their decision and kind of, figured out who it was going to be on the Thursday or Friday, um, but they didn't. And I, and I they, they were kind of, I, I had heard that Friday there might've been the announcement and it felt like we were gearing up for maybe an announcement on Friday and they decided to push it. And they ended up waiting until I believe the Tuesday uh, after the long weekend. And of course the news got out over the weekend that it was going to be Conroy, uh, which extends the positive news cycle for the flames, which they could definitely use these days. So I'm curious if they, if they try to, get it done prior to the weekend to avoid something similar happen, if they even care if the the news gets out or not. But I am curious to see how that plays itself out. But I think we're close. Can we get into the debate that has kind of happened? It's been lots of radio fodder, and it's not a new debate amongst, you know, people on the radio, people in stories, fans. But just this kind of debate around going for an internal candidate that doesn't ha- that might not have NHL head coaching experience versus some of these experienced guys that we've heard, you know, Peter Laviolette or, um, you know, Gerard Gallant. And there seems to be some people who, who – want the more veteran guy um, and have the problem with the AHL coach and the, I don't quite understand it because you would just think that after watching, you know, the Colorado avalanche under Jared Bednar, win a championship watching the Tampa Bay lightning under John Cooper, win championships, like more teams are going the AHL coach route and finding success. Whereas we keep seeing the teams that are on the coaching carousel. They never get off. What would hiring Peter Laviolette for three years to, you know, sputter in the same spot, respectfully, do for the Calgary Flames? Like, I would rather see them try out Mitch Love. Is he the next, you know, Jared Bednar type coach? Is he the next John Cooper? I would rather find that out than see what the carousel could bring. How do you feel about that, Pat? And I think I'm, I'm kind of with you. I mean, first of all, when especially on Gerard Gallant, but even to a lesser extent, I think on Laviolette, and I've got a big, I've, I've got a, a lot of respect, and, and I really do appreciate the work that Laviolette has done as as a head coach in this league. But it just, that's why I said respectfully. <laughs> absolutely, but I mean, with I think respect. about Gallant, and with, with and with respect. 
listen to what was being said about Gerard Gallant on the way out of his time in New York. He was being talked about as a guy who, you know, didn't necessarily get along, get along is the wrong word, but, but maybe didn't see eye to eye or, or wasn't collaborative with the general manager, wasn't collaborative with his assistant coaches, uh, had uh, trouble getting through to certain important players and wasn't great at making in-game adjustments. Like, doesn't that sound exactly like the same things we were hearing about Daryl Sutter on his way out? And now all of a sudden, you're talking about bringing in a guy that has the same type of knocks against them, and nobody's going to dispute the amount of um, the amount of Cup final appearances and regular season wins and playoff appearances that both Gallant and Sutter have. But it just mm-hmm. makes it, it just they, they seem like very very similar guys, and I don't think that's what you need. And to your point about AHL coaches or first time coaches, yeah, I think it's very fair. And and Cooper and Bednar are, are both really good examples um, of, of guys that have been able to step right in and you know Jared Bednar and John Cooper I think they both missed the playoffs in their first year Bednar was presiding over an avalanche team that had one of the worst seasons in in NHL history and yet both have won Stanley Cups they've won the last three Stanley Cups so yeah I, I don't I don't think that you can write off Mitch Love just because he's never had any NHL experience and I think that he should absolutely be a candidate and and I also think Ryan Huska I know that sometimes the the, the similar knocks are about an assistant moving into a head coaching job within the sure. same organization. Uh, and I understand those knocks, and I think sometimes they're valid. But I look at a guy like Huska, I mean, I know that he is extremely well-respected inside that room to begin with. I also know that you take a look at his resume, and it's not like he's a guy who's been a career assistant. He's been a head coach at every stop along the way. He played high-level hockey. He went from that to being a coach in the Western Hockey League where he won championships as an assistant and went to championships as a head coach. He was successful as a head coach in the American League and now is a very well-respected assistant in the NHL for five seasons and you take a look at the things that he's done as an assistant and, and the areas that he has been in charge of, and he's done really well. I mean, his penalty kill has been very strong the last couple of years. Calgary's defense, like the actual blue liners, have been one of the strengths of the team in recent years, and that's, that's the area that he's, or the, the two areas that he's, you know, been primarily tasked with, with handling under these, uh, the, the, the head coaches that he's worked with. So I... I think both guys would be really strong choices. I think Huska has paid his dues and he's ready for this. I think Mitch Love is a rising star. So if you were to go in either direction, I don't have a problem with it. And it just continuity and familiarity feels like, at least for me, something that's important with this hire as opposed to other times. And a lot of times I think – Hiring internal can sometimes be a bit of a cop-out, but where the flames are right now, I, I don't think that. I think that you know, there's a time to maybe go in, in this direction where it's a fresh voice and a new voice, but it's not completely reinventing the wheel. So I, I'm very much, if they do end up going in an internal direction, I remain very much in favor of it. I think my vote's been with Mitch Love from from the get-go, uh, back-to-back AHL Coach of the Year. The one thing that I really like about Mitch Love that he brings to the table, too, and I think Ryan Pike made this point recently, so I want to credit him as well. Mitch Love coached a very good Stockton Heat team in 2021-22, lost a bunch of those key players, relocated to a different country, and ended up with a better performance than in the prior season. Like that kind of 
you know, he lost the continuity, but didn't lose the success, that team success. Like they went further in the playoffs. They had a better regular season. A bunch of guys leveled up. That's something I look at with Mitch Love. And I'm like, yeah, I like that. <laughs> That's good. Good job. Hey, and, and <laughs> what, what has, what, what can this guy, what else can this guy do in the American league at this point? He's yes. one, two coaches of the year. Like he's, he's, Pretty much done. I know he hasn't won a Calder Cup. I, 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 I grant you that. I know there has not been uh, a championship for him. But, I mean, I don't really know what else this guy can actually accomplish that, that you're like, okay, well, he needs to do this before he makes the jump to the NHL. And, again, I know that both Cooper and Bednar have more pro coaching experience than Mitch has right now. Sure. But if they were to go that direction – I, I don't think that they would be uh, making a, uh, a poor coaching hire because the other thing is, and I don't think that you can make this decision based on this, but think about it. Mitch Love and, and his representation know that he's a rising star as well, and they know that he's got a lot of people interested in him. So in that case, like how, how much do you factor in the fact that you know, you might not be able to keep them if you don't make this hire. And the same is true with a guy like Huska, because I think Ryan Huska is very well thought of. He was a runner-up in Detroit as a head coach one year ago. So, you know, you've got that to factor in as well. And I'm, I don't think that, that should be a main decision-making factor, but I also don't think it's something that you can completely ignore either. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and I like that you brought up there's not much else for Mitch Love to prove at the AHL level because this is the most interesting UFA for me outside of Elias Lindholm. And that's Matthew Phillips transitioning from the coaching search onto the to the yeah. roster and what comes next this summer for the Calgary Flames. Elias Lindholm, we've talked about it a lot. That is top top of mind it's one of the it's the most important thing for craig conroy to sort out this offseason and you had a great piece on sportsnet.ca for interesting player personnel decisions facing the flames the most interesting one to me outside of Lindholm is matthew phillips because he doesn't have anything left to prove at the ahl level uh i don't know what else that guy can do at the ahl level other than win a championship which they fell short of this season um I, I just he's going to be a group six unrestricted free agent. He did not hit the threshold of NHL games needed, so he will be a UFA on July 1st. I'm going to be very curious to see if Matthew Phillips sees a fresh start in Calgary, you know, a, a rejuvenated sense of hope to crack the NHL roster in this market, or is he going to go and try to get his shot somewhere else? He's top of the list for me in terms of guys to watch on the UFA board in Calgary. What about what do you think? Well, and the, 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 if he were to go that direction and if he were to go and see what his worth is in unrestricted free agency, can anybody really blame him? Of course not. Because honestly, over the last couple of years, he hasn't, as, as a high-level American League player, a high-level pro and one of the highest-scoring players in the second-best league in North America, maybe the second-best league in the world, he really hasn't been given a shot. And, and this year especially, because, you know, he got that final game uh, where we were in that empty building uh, for, his, for game 56 against Vancouver, kind of like a weird appetizer for the playoffs later that night. And he played that first game in front of zero fans. You're like, okay, it is what it is. Nice little carrot, but whatever. But this year, he, and, 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 and that was after a year where he was good, but definitely not as good as he's been the last two years in the American League. 
Last two years, he's been one of the highest scoring players in that league. And, and mm-hmm. Haley, I have no idea if Matthew Phillips is going to be an impact NHL or is going to be a full-time NHL. I really don't know. But what, what ticks me off is that we, ha- we don't know because over the last two years, he hasn't been given a shot. And you can very, very much understand last year where Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk and Elias Lindholm were tearing apart the league and Andrew Manchapani scored 35, so on and so forth. Okay, they probably didn't need to give Matthew Phillips a, a look in 21-22. This year, the team couldn't score. This year, one of their biggest downfalls was their offense and their inability to be a, a dangerous hockey team. So the two games that Matthew Phillips played, all of the 17 minutes or combined that he played in those two games, it, it, it seemed like a little bit of, um, I don't know, a misstep and um, you, you didn't get the information that you truly needed to see if this guy could actually help even in a small way with your offensive woes. And so, yeah, if he were to go in a different direction because he hasn't gotten a shot, I don't think we'd blame him. But two things that I think are really interesting. Daryl Sutter's gone, and there is no doubt about it that, first of all, Daryl didn't believe he was an NHL. I think that we know that, number one. Number two, uh, Daryl Sutter was the biggest kind of roadblock to him getting an opportunity in the NHL, and he's gone now. So there's the Daryl Sutter factor, and there's also, you know, if Mitch Love is the head coach, well, that is a, a kind of a bonus factor. Like, well, there's a guy who's coached him the last two years and knows how good he is. But don't forget that Craig Conroy is essentially the one who drafted Matthew Phillips. At that draft table in 2016, a really successful year for the Flames at the draft, there was Craig Conroy pounding the table saying in the sixth round, let's take this kid from Victoria. Let's take this local product. I know him. I've watched him. I've scouted him. Essentially, Craig Conroy was the guy who got that over the finish line seven years ago. And mm-hmm. now here's Craig Conroy is the general manager. And he said that to me a couple of weeks ago that he, he knows he's the guy who drafted him. So I think there is a desire there even from Craig to see if they can bring him back because Craig has admitted multiple times he wanted to see more of Matthew Phillips over the last couple of years. So he's a Calgary kid. There's no longer that roadblock head coach necessarily. And you've got the guy who drafted you now as the general manager of the team. It feels like there's a chance to convince him to come back. And that might mean putting a one-way contract on the table, but I'm okay with that. If you put a one-way deal on the table to see if it's a one year, $900,000 deal. Give him a shot. Yeah. Give him a shot. And if it doesn't work (laughs) well, he's an unrestricted free agent again after, after next season. And then you can go in a different direction. Yeah. The problem is, is like, we, we just don't know. (laughs) He could be a tweener. He could be a great NHL player. Like he could be the answer that the Calgary Flames need on the right wing, right? He shoots right. He plays center uh, with the Wranglers, but kick him out to the right wing. You can move Mangiapane back to left. Keep Huberto on the left. Like the Flames need right shot guys on that side. Maybe you throw Dubé at center. I don't know if Matthew Phillips ends up working out. Things could maybe shape up in that top nine or even in the bottom six if you rework what that bottom six looks like in Calgary. Maybe he's a tweener. Maybe he's an AHL player. We don't know. That's the problem. So just figure it out. And if he wants to take if he wants to take that shot somewhere else, that's his choice after after waiting in the wings for so long. Be curious to see Agreed. what happens. Thanks for this, Pat. I guess I gotta go now. Bye, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> there goes Pat Steinberg, host of Flames Talk. You can catch him later on his show. You hear him everywhere on Sportsnet nine sixty. Uh, oh goodness, Hockey Central nine sixty on Sportsnet nine sixty fan. Goodbye, everybody.